You're listening to the um, Irish Radio Canada here on um, We Are Back. And I'm honoured and thrilled to be able to have another chat with Brian Kennedy. We had a chat with Brian a few months back. We talked about um, his music and his writing and uh, how he was dealing with and his health and how he was dealing with COVID. And Brian has just launched a new single coming up into the Christmas market. He's about to also do a an online concert. Brian, first of all, thanks for coming back. It's great to have a chat with you again. You're one. You're so welcome, Austin. Nice to see you again. I love this idea that we can actually see each other for a change instead of just back in the day. It used to be, you know, a phone call and all of that stuff. So yeah, it's it's there's something extraordinary about me sitting here in Dublin, and you're sitting exactly where in the I'm, mountains. I'm in in County Waterford, and just down the road, you two of the teachers in the local school. One of them is the midfield on the Waterford team that's playing on Sunday today. Wonderful. In the All-Ireland Final. I love it. And another one of the teachers down there is a regular on there as well. So uh, Mr. Barron and Mr. Dunford and the kids have yes. the whole the whole school is emblazoned with colours and everything. Well, I did, a, I did a concert during COVID, obviously very socially distanced, in Waterford actually, um, about a couple of months ago. And it was very successful, but very strange because I couldn't do signing afterwards. I couldn't meet and greet anybody. I literally came in, did the concert, got back in my car and drove home again. It was very surreal. But yeah, I have great, great connections with Waterford, of course. And when you say that, of course, doing something like that, I know when you go into the recording studio. Yeah. You know, you are mentally prepared for, uh, let's say, the isolation. Yes. And you have your sound coming through your headset and you sing and you record, but you're psychologically prepared for it. Yes. But to go into a venue like Watford, which is meant to be interactive with and emotionally interactive with an audience. Yes, yes. Again, it must be surreal. Well, I mean, you, it, the great thing about humanity is I think that we ad- our adaptability is usually pretty quick. You know, once I, once I knew what the ground rules were, I, I literally did that. I mean, we had physical, 50 physical people in the whole theatre, so I, I did have some interaction. Um, but, yeah, I think that we are – I think one of the reasons why our species is still here is because of our adaptability. We're mm-hmm. really able to adapt to very strange situations, no more than me growing up on the Falls Road and being in lockdown a lot there when the, when the war was – awful and then as a writer and a creative person I'm well able to lock myself away from my ordinary life and really concentrate whether it's writing a book or a uh, a song or a bunch of songs and then taking those into the studio and maybe only working with two, three other people and then presenting it to the whole world and then suddenly you're, you're out and about meeting hundreds of people back in the day. So I think, I think if, if anything, we are, human beings are very, very, very adaptable, much more so than we give ourselves credit for, I think. I would, I, yeah, and particularly if we rely and recognize our, some of our own inner strengths and rather than try to rely too much on external that's right, exactly. Because it's it's too, um, the, you know, the external has become the internal. I think these days with all of our, you know, smart devices and tablets and all those kind of things. Normally, you would think, oh yeah, that's something to do with the outside world, but actually, it's become such an important tool in our inner lives now because of the lockdown. So th- I think the the purposes of these things have really changed in an interesting way. Even pe- you know, old pensioners are talking to their grandkids way more than they would have done on Zoom on all of those things, and it's just become another tool for communication I know one of the things that we were talking about here this morning and I guess one of the bigger challenges is that 
a lot of what would have been activity that you would have engaged in and others, like yeah. things like singing circles, sessions, yeah. and then even things like I would have done playing bridge, where you're right. and even chess or Monopoly, uh, yeah. Scrabble, that what would have been part of people coming together, you can no longer sit across for somebody for two or three hours. Yeah. And it's very strange. That's, that's one of the stranger ones. But um, one of the things that struck me, because there's been a program, I'm sure you've been watching it on, on uh, television, dealing with the Irish famine. Yeah. yeah. And what struck me about that was if those people that came through the famine, that what we are going through at the moment, we're living in luxury. Yeah, but I, but I think there's an emotional famine. You know, I think there's mm-hmm. a... I think there's a, there's a famine of a different kind, and I don't mean to sound uh, and you know dramatic about it, but also I do because it's as you say, it's one thing to st- starve to death and lose your land and all those things. Those things have been going on all the time, of course. But there's a different kind of a famine that we're going through, I think, and there there are people suffering mentally because of it. You know, I, th- I think they're especially when they see no end in sight. Um, music, thank God, is one of the salves that we have. Music is medicine, after all. So the, I think the only upside to this particular time of famine is that we, ha- we we are actually able to reach out to each other. We just have to, you know, familiarize ourselves with the tools. And when I do my Facebook Live shows, you know, every two weeks on the page, to, to begin with, it was a little strange because it's a camera and, and I'm treating the camera like it's an audience and not a person and all of that. But I have to tell you very quickly, it becomes very doable. And you just think to yourself, now I know there are people watching because they're messaging me and that's great. And they're sending me in requests and so on. So, Again, it's back to our adaptability. Mm-hmm. Um, once we're able to, um, I think the other irony, of course, is this particular famine is that people are putting on weight, not losing it. You know, so, <laughs> yes. the irony of that. <laughs> so, I think I have somebody to love. You're, you're, talk to me about this. I will. I. I, you know, I, you know, Google sometimes becomes my god, you know, and I search around a lot of things, and sometimes things get suggested. And I had just done a concert with Imelda May and uh, Dervish in the London Palladium last year uh, as part of the Great Irish Book Song, you know, series that we were doing. We did Celtic Connections in in Glasgow, and then we did the Palladium in London. Great, great, great success. And I had met and sung with Imelda May for the first time, um, particularly. And I was just really bowled over by how good she was, how much better she was in real, in real life, as, as is often the case. So, I don't know, one night I was searching around and up came this song that I did not know at all called I Wish I Had Someone to Love Me. And it was a live recording from a Christmas show that Imelda did with the Dubliners. And so I literally was moved to tears by it. And then I kept watching it and kept watching it. And then, you know, archivally I found then that, say, Barney from the Dubliners would have sung it himself um, as a solo tune. And then when you dig deeper, uh, Johnny Cash had a version in the 80s. And then Johnny Cash talks about how the song was, was 100 years old, was, you know, from the 1920s. And here we are in the 2020s. And I thought, my God, this is so interesting that the last time we had any kind of lockdown, any kind of prohibition, would have been in the 1920s. And here we are, fast forward, in another kind of prohibition uh, in the 2020s. And I thought, my God, this, is a, this could be a gorgeous anthem for, for the dispossessed, for the lonely, for people who don't have anybody to, to nest up with and, and, and connect to. And the more I thought about that, the more it moved me, the more I wanted to record it. 
And I say in the notes, you know, it's it's like archi- songs are like architecture. They start off in the 1920s, looking the, the, and sounding the way they do. Then suddenly, you know, with the years that go by, the changes come in. People add on other rooms, add on other feelings about it. And I think songs are the same. The architecture changes. The emotional architecture changes as as they move through. Uh, the centuries and the, and the decades. And so suddenly me, 54-year-old fella who has just been through a journey with cancer and in, in a long-term lockdown and all of that, the idea that there are people out there so lost. And, and listen, sometimes I think it was Brian Ferry who said, you know, loneliness is the crowded room. You know, so sometimes even if you are surrounded by people, you still could be as lonely as possible. And Mm -hmm. so I I, gladly I tell you I don't suffer from loneliness necessarily, but I certainly spend a lot of time on my own. I've been single for a very long time, so I'm well used to that kind of thing. And it just struck a chord with me, like like when I first heard You Raise Me Up or Crazy Love or anything, those songs written by other people. Um, So I wish I had someone to love me absolutely got to the heart of me very quickly. I called up my producer and said, look, can we do a treatment of this song. I just want to record it um, while we're in the middle of this. So very quickly we recorded it. I played guitar. The wonderful Liam O'Connor is playing accordion on it. And we put it out digitally. Now, it's not out physically because, of course, I would have manufactured it, gone out to do gigs, did that way. But because all those things are not possible, thank goodness for the digital world. So you can get it on iTunes, on any of those kind of things. And I urge people to go and even just have a listen. I wish I had someone to love me in 2020 because loneliness and disconnection is deeper than ever. And I think you made a very important point there. There's a big difference between loneliness and being alone. That's right. A huge difference. Um, like I say, even when I was at school, surrounded surrounded by other boys, and you, you, you didn't have a bit of space to yourself, mm-hmm. but I was desperately lonely because mm-hmm. I had nobody I felt I could connect to or, or who understood me. And mm-hmm. so I, that has kind of followed me into adulthood. And there will often be occasions when I'll be in a really crowded place thinking, yeah, God, this, I feel disconnected from this environment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's what I'm kind of talking about, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Brian, as we approach Christmas then, and I know for everybody it's going to be a very different Christmas, how would you normally have spent Christmas? Christmas is a very strange time for me. I, As you know, I have long-term estrangement from most uh, of my uh, immediate family. You know, we had a very bad uh, breakup, we just say that, many, many, many years ago. A few attempts to reconnect, but they, they failed very badly. Now, both of my parents are have different stages of Alzheimer's, and they're in a home, and they're both in their 80s. And, of course, as we know, people aren't allowed to go anywhere near homes. And also, I did meet with them a few years ago after a long time, and they didn't know me at all. Mm. You know, so, they, so, so that's a disconnect right there. Um, so I try and make sure I'm not sitting all by myself in my lovely house thinking, oh, God, what do I do now? You know, I went up to Donegal, up to Gortahort last year um, to visit and stay with some very, very best friends called the Lairmonts who live up there. Uh, this year, that's not really possible, even though I've been reinvited. So I'm going to go to a nice hotel with some very close friends uh, for Christmas dinner, at least. And, and we'll catch up around the table, um, you know, safely. And then I'll probably just come home and, and then isolate again, I think, because we're being doubly warned not to mm-hmm. lose the one of ourselves. And just because we can doesn't mean to say that we should. So I'll, I'll spend Christmas Day, certainly, um, in the company and the warmth of a, a very privileged, lovely situation. Uh, somebody will make Christmas dinner for us, and it'll be lovely. We'll catch up for a few hours, and then I'll go home again, I think. When you also mentioned there about, you know, we need to be doubly careful, and it's a thing I've mentioned to a few people when they talk about the easing of restrictions. Yeah. And what I've said is, of course, government cannot legislate personal responsibility. Yes, Exactly. 
And that's really what we're asked to be, is to be personally responsible. Yes. And uh, some people are very good at that, and some people are terrible at it. Uh-huh. You know, because I think that what, you know, as you, as you know, the appetite for company has been brewing and has been built up over all of this time. And I think quite, quite literally, it's like when something comes out of hibernation. The first thing you want to do is go running through the fields with your arms in the air screaming, I'm free, you know. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, we're not free. We're not free no. at last. We're, no. we're a long way from it. I know, and, and I'm, this is a, a, a personal question on one level, and that given that the vaccine is on the horizon, and one of the cautions there is that people who may have underlying serious underlying conditions, yeah. are you concerned about that? Does that frighten you? Does it bother you? And or would you be comfortable to consider taking the vaccine? I mean, all of the above, you know. I was in Belfast on Tuesday at this corporate event, and they had just started to vaccinate people. So, so there was a kind of a kind of a feeling in the air about, oh, well, help is at hand, you know. Um, and then, of course, we then heard the stories of some people who've had very adverse reactions to it. Now, a small amount, but it mm-hmm. still exists. All I can tell you is when I once had the flu vaccination uh, a bunch of years ago, and it made me feel awful, and I ended up with a very bad flu, the opposite of it. Um, and so I never ever took a flu vaccination ever again because it made me not trust it, especially being a singer and especially mm-hmm. in the wintertime. I'm normally flat out with concerts and that's the time when I need to be particularly well. I mean, I, I would like to think that it's, a, it's the same question as when people said to me, are you going to do chemotherapy and radiation when I had to have cancer treatment? There was a school of people barraging me with emails saying, please don't do chemo. Please don't do radiation. It destroys your immune system. You'll never be well again. And in fact, it'll promote more cancer. And there's, you know, there's a school of people who still think that to this day. And, and so I kind of put it on the back burner and I, and I um, looked for, you know, herbal alternative treatments. And I did everything you could possibly do. But ultimately... I would say this about that. When I did eventually surrender to chemo, six months of it, and and on all of that, it was, you know, the cancers are, there's, there are hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of cancers. And certainly what that tells us is, is that it's a modern disease. And so therefore, with modern diseases, you kind of need modern intervention. You need modern vaccine. You need modern things to, to really fight it. And my, my GP recently said to me, he goes, Brian, the reason that you're still alive is because you had chemo. Mm-hmm. And it absolutely killed all that cancer. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also I had the nine-hour operation to remove the, the tumor and so on. But, mm-hmm. So I can't help thinking that this is one of those situations. Even though the first virus I ever encountered really was HIV, and, and as you, we know, we still don't have a cure for that all mm-hmm. these years later, but we certainly have medicine that keeps it at bay. I know quite a few HIV-positive people, and they're in great health and great spirits. So I would like to think that once we're up and running with this vaccine and we're seeing good results, even though I'm a slightly higher risk group because of the chemo and so on, I, I would like to think I will probably go there and have it. Once, once my nerves are quelled and I know that, that it's actually working for some people. And right. hopefully they'll have things uh, ready to go if people do react to it very badly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm finishing mine, I must say. So you have a gig coming up before Christmas. I do. Uh, it's, it's actually um, a Christmas special. We've been doing uh, Facebook special gigs every two weeks until we were locked, locked down in level five. Now we're back to level three. We just did a concert on Saturday night on the 5th, and now we've dreamt up. Um, it's actually a ticketed event, so it's like you actually are going to a, a thing. And I think when you pay whatever, I think it's 15 euros, you get a code, an exclusive code that allows you into the concert. So uh, we are dreaming up a wonderful 
Christmas concert. All Christmas songs, mostly from my album, Christmassy. Probably I Wish I Had Someone to Love Me as well. And maybe a very special guest to come sing with me. So we're, we're planning, and I know that my, my friends Richard, me, and, and Lars Flynn, you know, we're, we're really going to decorate it up really beautifully, and because people can't really go to shows this side of Christmas. I feel that we have to go all out and give the best concert we can. So I'm asking people to have a listen to my album, Christmassy, online, or if you have it um, with a physical copy, and make suggestions. I'd love to hear your suggestions of songs that I've recorded on that record that you'd like me to hear. And if somebody does want to get tickets, where can they go for that? They can go to eventbrite.ie. Go to, or go to my, my website. All the details will be there, briankennedy.co.uk.ie. But I believe you can go straight to eventbrite.ie, and that's bright as in B-R-I-T-E. Um, and, or if you can't remember any of that, just go to briankennedy.co.uk. It'll all be listed there. And, Brian, I think the listening audience have adapted well to yes. these concerts now was it Niall Horn did one recently and I think was blown away with the response on that so it's amazing we have to date we've had over 140,000 people check into the concerts of yeah. mine on my Facebook page so it's incredible imagine putting all those people in one room I mean it's yes. extraordinary <laughs> so we have uh, a private stadium waiting for us yeah. <laughs> Have indeed. Um, so, Brian, I'm going to wrap up here, and, and I want to thank you for taking the time, and I wish you a very, very happy and healthy Christmas, and look yeah. forward that in 2021 we all get to see each other in the flesh at some point or other. Here's hoping that would be that would be such a gift after all of this lockdown. And thanks to all your listeners too there in Irish Radio Canada and anybody else who's listening in from around the world. We we need your company more than ever, and I'm happy to sing for you.